Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. A vicious creature is on the rampage. I had a perfect little boy. Something came into his body and destroyed vision in his eye. A brutal killer invades a traveler's blood. He said it was very, very critical that you get to medicine that quickly, otherwise you're dead. And a summer's day at the lake becomes a nightmare when a ruthless monster attacks. It was horrible to see him just lay there and nothing you can do to help him. Three completely different parasites, but they all have the same strategy to hijack the body of an unsuspecting host. Anyone could be next. Worms invisible to the human eye. Insects thirsty for blood. Microscopic amoeba. They might look harmless, but these are some of nature's deadliest creatures. They can hijack our bodies, disable our immune systems. They are parasites. But to those infected, they are the monsters inside me. Nature is a war zone, and parasites are the enemy. A parasite is just like any other organism. It needs shelter. It needs to reproduce, but most of all, it needs food. A parasite gets into or onto another organism, and that organism's called a host. And they hijack that host to use them for their own means. Parasites have countless ways of hijacking their host's bodies. Some steal food from inside the gut. Others lurk in the blood, sapping their host's nutrients. And some even target their host's brains. Parasites are the ultimate hijackers, and we're their victims. September 1998, Massachusetts. 
Christopher Durant is a bright four-year-old boy living with his parents and younger sister. Oh, life's great. We're all doing wonderfully. The kids are great. They're healthy. They're having a fun time. Um, life is just really, really good. Chris just had his fourth birthday, and we always take the kids for well baby visits to the pediatrician on or around their birthdays. And the pediatrician gave him a perfect bill of health, including 20-20 vision in both his eyes. But Christopher's life is about to change forever. My mother works at an optometrist, and she suggested that it would be good to bring Christopher and eventually his sister in for their first eye exam when, when they turned four. We made the appointment and took him in to see the eye doctor. Jennifer takes Christopher to the local optometrist, Dr. Milliken. When Christopher first comes into the reception room, I'm expecting to find a completely normal, healthy child. He uh, hopped right up into the chair, and uh, we started to check his pupils and eye muscles. First, Dr. Milliken covers Christopher's left eye. Then he has Christopher look at the pictures on the wall. And so Chris says... That's a cake. That's an airplane. And what picture is that? That's a dog. Christopher did a very good job reading the eye chart with his right eye. And then I asked Christopher to switch the uh, cover to the other eye. And it was very apparent that he just didn't want to cover the uh, right eye. So I reached up and I physically put that occluder right in front of his uh, eye so that he can only see out of the left eye. And as soon as he did, he just started looking around the room almost like it was a mystery where the eye chart was. When Christopher is asked to read the chart again, his strange behavior continues. I was sitting in a chair just a few feet away, and Christopher looked at the cake, and Christopher hesitated, and then he said, book. So Dr. Milliken looks at me, and we both knew that something was wrong. And he went on to the next one, which was an airplane, and he said, fish. And I knew that he wasn't seeing what was on those pictures, and I was scared, and I wanted to know what the problem was. It was pretty apparent that Christopher just didn't have any good central vision out of that left eye. At first, Dr. Milliken is not overly concerned. The vast majority of times that I see this, it's a very treatable condition. It's a condition called amblyopia. Amblyopia, also known as lazy eye is a developmental problem which can usually be treated by covering the good eye to help retrain the lazy one. Amblyopia is a condition where the eye just hasn't learned to see. For some reason, where there's a big difference between the two eyes, the brain will only use the image of the better seeing eye. So I'm hopeful at this point that uh, uh, Christopher would do very well uh, with amblyopia therapy. But after taking a closer look, Dr. Milliken realizes the situation is worse than he thought. Dr. Milliken looked directly into his eye, and he sort of gave an imperceptible nod. There was a 
raised, swollen, pigmented lesion right in the back of his eye, uh, which is where central vision is. Once I saw the scar, I was aware that Christopher did not have amblyopia. It was a lesion that was quite possibly not treatable. The retina has been injured, and the retina doesn't grow back. At this point, I realized that Christopher will only have vision in one eye. I was wondering, what did I miss? How did I not know that he can't see out of a large portion of his left eye? How could I possibly, as his mother, have missed that? It was an overwhelming feeling that I had let him down in some way. Dr. Milliken doesn't know what caused Christopher's eye damage. So he refers him to a pediatric ophthalmologist. I've never seen anything as this significant, and it really does require a specialist at this point. We walk into the specialist's office and meet the resident, and she brings us back into the room and puts some drops in Chris's eyes, and then we go back out to sit in the waiting room for about 20 minutes so those drops can take effect. The drops dilate Christopher's eyes, allowing the specialist to take a closer look at his retina. We went back in, and with his headlamp on, the specialist looks into Chris's eyes and kind of moves back and forth, trying to get a deep look in his eyes. And when he finishes, he looks up at me and he says, Chris has toxicoriasis. Toxocariasis is a disease caused by a parasite. I had a perfect little boy, and something came into his body and destroyed vision in his eye. And I'd, I've never been that angry in my life. Toxocara is a parasitic worm. When the eggs enter the human body, they hatch into larvae in the intestine. The larvae travel through the body in the blood, attacking the body's tissues. The body's immune system fights and kills the parasite, causing inflammation in the affected tissues. This isn't usually a problem. But if by chance the parasite reaches the eye, the inflammation can damage the retina. And the result is blindness. The damage done by the parasite is irreversible. Christopher may never see out of his left eye again. But he might not be the only one in his family to be affected. To get from host to host, the parasite employs a cunning strategy. The Toxicara parasite hijacks an organism you would never expect to hurt you. The family pet. I learned that toxocariasis comes from the ingestion of roundworm, which primarily comes from dogs. Once I found out it was from dogs, I immediately looked to our black lab. If the Durant dog is infected, the entire family could be at risk. I was really conflicted. If it's our dogs, how do I get rid of a family member. I 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Four-year-old Christopher Durant has been attacked by the sight-stealing parasite Toxicara leaving him blind in one eye. Dogs are the main transmitters of the Toxicara parasite, making the family's pet Labrador the prime suspect. Toxicara is adapted to live inside the digestive system of a puppy. And it hijacks that digestive system to get all of its nutrients. So when the puppy eats, Toxicaras would get first crack at all those nutrients. Larvae are transmitted to puppies via their mother's milk. Once in the intestine, they penetrate the gut wall and circulate around the puppy's body. When the larvae become adults, they lay eggs in the intestine, which are passed in the feces. If the eggs are eaten by another dog, the life cycle continues. Dogs are not usually harmed by the parasite. But if the parasitic eggs are eaten by a human, it's a different story. When the Toxicara parasite is inside a puppy, it does very well, and it just stays there eating the food that the puppy delivers to it. 
But if it gets inside the digestive system of a different kind of organism, it doesn't do quite as well. And so then it spreads out in through the tissues in search of food. And that's when the real trouble starts, because when those larvae move through the tissues, they can cause a lot of damage. In Chris's case, the parasite made it to his left eye, damaging it beyond repair. But was the Durant's black lab to blame? I immediately said, is there any chance at all that this problem with Chris's eye, the roundworm, could have come from our dogs? Dogworming medicine is designed to kill the parasite. But if a dog isn't wormed regularly, it has a high chance of carrying the parasite. Jennifer scours her Black Lab's veterinary records. They had been dewormed, so it definitely wasn't our dogs. Because the family dog has been wormed regularly throughout its life, there's no chance it could be hosting the parasite. So how Christopher became infected is still a mystery. One man who spent his career studying how the Toxicara parasite spreads is Dr. Kevin Kazakos, a parasitologist at Purdue University. By repeating a classic experiment, he can reveal just how common the parasite is in the environment. Over the course of a week, he allows two unwormed puppies to defecate in a defined area. At the end of the week, he collects the samples of the puppy's fecal matter. Okay, we've got our samples now, and now we're going to take these samples back to the lab and, and do our testing on them. So we have uh, 93 eggs on uh, the count. So we would multiply that by 100, and that would mean uh, it has 9,300 eggs per gram of feces. It's not unusual to find Toxicara uh, puppies uh, shedding uh, 100,000 eggs per gram of feces or more. Using the data from the experiment, Dr. Kazakos comes to some shocking conclusions. In, in, in simply one week uh, with those two puppies, we estimated that they shed 20 and a half million eggs into the soil. Millions of these parasites are lurking in the soil waiting to hijack their next host, which could be a dog or a person. A national survey done not too long ago looked at over 6,000 dogs from all over the country, and uh, they found 15% of them uh, were infected with Toxicara. And if you looked at puppies, uh, you might be up uh, over 80% uh, or higher. Armed with this information, Jennifer develops her own theory as to how Chris contracted the Toxicara parasite. Chris must have been in a sandbox somewhere, put some dirt in his mouth, and eaten it, and um, gotten roundworm from it. The Durants may never know for sure when or how the parasite entered their son's body. But they can never forget how his immune system's fight against the hijacker left Chris blind in one eye. To make sure that Chris's immune system did kill all the larvae, they take their son to have his blood analyzed. The results come back negative. The Toxicara parasite is dead. I'm really relieved to know that the Toxicara is gone from his system. Chris is now 11, 
and free from the parasite that invaded his eye. To me, when I close my right eye, I can see the basic outline of things and I can see the main color, but I can't get in the details. I might not be able to do what I've been hoping to do, which is join the military, because you need both your eyes and I might not be able to do that. And other than that, it hasn't affected me at all. Chris and I together are taking this parasite on. We want to spread the word however we can to make sure this doesn't happen to someone else's child. Chris and Jennifer have taken their campaign nationwide, spreading the word about the importance of worming pet dogs. Even having had toxicriasis, Chris is a happy, great kid. Um, He's having a wonderful life. The Toxicara parasite lives in the soil all around us, but there are some simple ways to avoid contracting it. Make sure small children don't put dirt or soil in their mouths and always wash hands after playing or working outside. For Toxicara, finding the right host is the key factor in whether the parasite will thrive. Some parasites benefit by keeping their hosts alive as long as possible. Toxicara is a successful parasite because it hijacks the digestive system of its host and eats its host's food. Other parasites aren't quite so nice, and they have no problem just tearing through an organism and moving on. They can hijack the body and kill in a matter of days. Florida, July 2007. A deadly hijacker is on the loose. It's claimed 175 victims worldwide. Now, the lives of one Orlando family are about to be shattered. Steve Sellers is worried about his 11-year-old son, Will. He was dizzy and falling over, falling off the couch. His eyes were flickering in his head. He was very disoriented. I knew at this time we got to get him in the hospital as soon as possible because he was very sick. Half an hour later, Will's mom, Peggy, arrives at the hospital. She is shocked by her son's condition. When I went into the emergency room, Will couldn't see me. He, he didn't recognize me. I was trying to talk to him to calm him down because he didn't understand what was going on. What the family doesn't know is that Will is being eaten alive from the inside. The Toxicara parasite can lead to blindness in humans. What is the best way to stop the parasite from spreading? A. Always cook meat thoroughly. B. Worm your dog regularly. C. Only drink bottled water. The best way to stop the Toxicara parasite from spreading is to worm your dog regularly. Toxicara is transmitted through the feces of unwormed dogs. An infected dog can pass thousands of parasitic eggs each time it defecates. In Orlando, Florida, 11-year-old Will Sellers is in the hospital fighting for his life. His symptoms are terrifying. He was dizzy. He was falling over. He didn't seem to know where he was at. I was so scared because he looked at me and he didn't recognize me. But the doctors have no idea what the cause is. For Will's parents, the nightmare began one week earlier. 
he was playing his skateboard game on his Xbox, and I was on the couch watching him. And he was struggling to get past a part that he normally had no problem getting past it. And he was getting frustrated, and I just figured he was tired. Later that evening, Will notices something strange. He did complain of a bad headache Friday afternoon, right before football practice. He went home with his dad. From there, he was with Steve for the rest of the weekend. Saturday nights when he started throwing up, he was complaining of headache, stomach ache. So I gave him some medicine. Monday morning, he was dizzy. He was falling over. He didn't seem to know where he was at. Alarmed by his son's deteriorating condition, Steve takes Will to the emergency room. It was a very scary moment. We didn't know what was going on. I just remember driving down the highway, not really knowing what was going to happen. And by the time she gets to the emergency room, Peggy's fears are confirmed. Dr. Talali is the emergency doctor on call. A CT scan shows that his brain is very, very severely swollen. First impression is that he has meningitis. But when the doctors examine Will's spinal fluid, they make a frightening discovery. They actually drained some fluid from his brain. And that's when the lab technician saw the amoeba. There is something alive in Will's spinal fluid. Our worst suspicions confirmed he has a severe parasitic meningitis. Will has been infected by a deadly single-celled parasite dubbed the brain-eating amoeba. If you get infected with the brain-eating amoeba, you're in big trouble. This parasite is an out-and-out killer. But while its actions often have deadly consequences, the amoeba hijacks the brain for a benign reason. To find food and shelter. Inside the brain, the amoeba has a perfect environment to feed and reproduce. You have food, heat, moisture. It's perfect for them to live their lives. But by living their lives, these parasites endanger ours. Only by understanding how the amoeba kills can doctors hope to save Will's life. At Virginia Commonwealth University, Dr. Francine Cabral is studying how the amoeba feeds. It's very efficient in its mechanism of killing. It divides rapidly and it moves rapidly. To witness their destructive feeding, she places the amoeba on human nerve cells. Seeing the amoeba feed shows it to be a formidable adversary. It's quite incredible to watch the amoeba feeding in action. The amoeba has a two-pronged attack. First, it hijacks the host cells using special feet called pseudopods. Then the amoeba cuts a hole in the cell wall. And when the contents of the cell leak out, the amoeba eats them. Not only are the amoeba ruthless killers, they also have a cunning method of evading the body's immune system. The amoeba can defend itself by forming a coat, which is called a cyst. And this coat surrounds the amoeba and is impervious to the host's immune system. When the body's white blood cells attack, the amoeba forms its protective coat. The white blood cells latch onto the coat, but can't get through. Then the amoeba sheds the coat and escapes unharmed, leaving the white blood cells behind. In Orlando, Will Sellers is in mortal danger. 
his chances of survival are slim. Dr. Tilleli was very honest and said that the chances were not good. They told us that he had a 10% chance of survival, but they were going to do everything they possibly could to save his life. As the amoeba rages unchecked in Will's brain, his immune system works overtime to combat the infection, causing his brain to swell. What happens is that when the amoeba gets into the brain, in a sense, it's holding the brain hostage. So when the body sends in its immune system to try to defuse the hostage situation, often it does even more damage as a result. The problem with infections of the nervous system are twofold. One is that the organism itself causes damage, but that in the course of fighting the infection, the body causes inflammation, the brain becomes swollen, and it no longer has room to survive in the, in this, the contents of the skull. If we stood any chance, uh, now would be the time to act. To kill the amoeba, the doctors give Will antibiotics. And to control the swelling, they give him steroids. But when they don't help, Will's chances of survival grow dimmer. If one looks at the cases of amoebic meningitis, one will see that the numbers of survivors are in the single digits. Though Will's parents are praying for the best, the severity of the situation begins to dawn on them. I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. I knew things were bad. Eleven-year-old Will Sellers from Orlando, Florida, lies in a coma. He is suffering from a rare parasitic infection, amoebic meningitis. His brain is being eaten alive by a deadly amoeba. As Will's brain swells uncontrollably, his mother Peggy becomes desperate. I wanted them to do everything they could, and they did. They never gave up. While doctors battle to save Will's life, another team of scientists are trying to track down the source of the infection. In Virginia, Dr. Cabral thinks a clue could lie in the amoeba's life cycle. The amoeba likes fresh water, ponds, lakes, where bacteria are abundant because that's its food source. It's important to note that some parasites can't live unless they have a host. Other parasites are free living most of the time, but will take advantage of an opportunity when it presents itself. And the brain-eating amoeba is a perfect example of this. The amoeba lives in a cyst in sediment on the bottom of lakes. As the water warms, the amoeba emerges from the cyst and begins to divide. At this stage, the amoeba can infect humans. When conditions become unfavorable, the amoeba forms a cyst again, and the life cycle repeats. Dr. Cabral and her colleagues collect samples from lakes across the U.S. One of the lakes they test is near Will Sellers' home, Lake Jessamine. It's a dangerous job. The water could be harboring the amoeba. The samples are sent back to Cabral's lab for analysis. We have collected some surface water samples 
In addition to surface water, we've also collected sediment samples. And we're going to test this water to determine whether there are amoebae present. The samples are placed on a petri dish coated with bacteria. If there are a few amoeba in the water, they will um, start to eat the bacteria and then they'll divide and we'll be able to detect it. The test is positive. The lake near Will Sellers' house contains the deadly parasite. I had a feeling it was water-related, and I pinpointed when it happened because he played down at the lake. It's now clear how Will became infected. A week before he's rushed to the hospital, Will was on Lake Jessamine. One of William's friends called and asked if he could come over and go wakeboarding. And um, he was so excited because he hadn't actually wakeboarded yet. He wanted to. He spends the whole afternoon wakeboarding on the lake. But when he falls in, the water forces its way up Will's nostrils, carrying the deadly amoeba with it. The amoeba attach to the nerve endings inside his nostrils and crawl up to the brain. In the hospital, Will is fighting for his life. Each hour that went by, you know, his organs were shutting down. And we made the decision that if he did go into cardiac arrest, that we wouldn't revive him. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon on July 17th, 10 days after going wakeboarding on Lake Jessamine, Will Sellers passes away. To see your child die right before your eyes in a hospital bed is... It's like a nightmare, and it was horrible to see him just lay there and nothing you can do to help him. Since losing her son, Will's mom, Peggy, has dedicated her life to preventing future tragedies. Although it is rare, it is real. And trying to help other families is the way I keep Will in my life. He's my driving force. Most amoeba don't hurt people at all. And in fact, the brain-eating amoeba usually doesn't infect people. There have only been about 200 reported cases of people getting infected by it. So for the parasite, getting inside a human is bad news too, because it's a dead end. When Will died, the amoeba were trapped in his brain and would eventually die as well. 11-year-old Will Sellers only had to go to a lake behind his house to come in contact with a brain-eating amoeba. Cabral's research indicates that as many as 70% of America's lakes may harbor the parasite, but because they exist in such small numbers, infections are very rare. But the danger is always there. Are we looking at an outbreak? It's possible that as the water warms up, the amoeba have a chance to divide and there would be greater numbers of amoeba in the water. And even in warm water, some simple measures can protect swimmers. The way to prevent deaths from occurring, first of all, is to educate the public about this disease. And secondly, it would be very important to wear nose plugs when doing recreational activities, such as diving or wakeboarding, where you're underwater quite a bit. For the amoeba, being in the right place at the right time is all it needs to find its way into a new host.
But some hijackers don't wait around. They take a more proactive approach. For parasites, one of the big problems they face is how to get to their hosts. And some parasites have a brilliant solution. They hijack an animal that they can use to get to their host. For these parasites, hijacking an intermediate host, like an animal or insect, is a vital step to their ultimate goal, finding a human host. At Michigan State University Medical Center, Dwight Scott is about to undergo an urgent procedure to analyze his spinal fluid. Come on in. Yes, I didn't think yeah. I'd see you back. Have a seat up Have here, seat. step up on this and sit down. Dwight has a deadly parasite, one so rare that he is the only known case in the United States. I guess it's kind of an exclusive club, but it's not the kind of club you'd normally want to be in, I'm afraid. Do you have any questions? I can see you're still nervous, though. Well, yeah. I don't like the idea. Yeah, I know. No, nobody <laughs> does. Well, why don't you go on out? This test will tell Dwight and his doctors whether the deadly parasite has advanced to his brain. But it's a delicate procedure, and everything hinges on the results. His wife, Cindy, can only hope for the best. If the parasite goes to the brain, as I understand it, it is a pretty much a death sentence. Dwight Scott's nightmare began almost four months ago. At 55, he was enjoying an active life full of travel and adventure. Dwight's always had incredibly high energy, and he has 17 projects going at once. As an expert gunsmith, Dwight's profession took him on hunting trips around the world. He was used to both the rewards and inconveniences of exotic travel. So when a client invited him on a safari in Tanzania, Dwight didn't hesitate to join him. I've been to Africa 11 times. We were there three and a half months ago, and I was there for a little over three weeks. But two weeks into the trip, Dwight suddenly starts to feel unwell. I just started to feel very, very weak. One day you wake up and you're just, you're so weak that you can't hardly get out of bed. He consults with the camp nurse, who thinks he's having a bad reaction to the anti-malarial drugs he's been taking. On her advice, he stops the medications right away. And then over the next couple of days, I just got weaker and weaker and weaker until I was so weak I couldn't stand on my own. Dwight's traveling companions realize that something is seriously wrong. They arranged to fly him out of the camp to a hospital in Nairobi, Kenya to get help. I was pleading with them not to take me to the hospital, let me to go home. And they said they're not going to let you on the plane. So they put me in an ambulance and they took me to a hospital. When he arrives at Nairobi General Hospital, Dwight is too weak to eat or drink. And he's just beginning to experience a frightening new symptom. I was delusional and uh, it got to the point where at one time I thought that they had a monkey in the uh, next room. And it was making so much noise, I thought they were going to kill it. 
it seemed so real to me at the time, but afterwards I had it explained to me that that, that wasn't possible, that they were killing monkeys in the ICU unit at the uh, Nairobi General. The Kenyan doctors recognize these bizarre symptoms, and they asked Dwight if he's been bitten by any insects recently. Looking back, he does remember one particular bite. I've been bitten probably a thousand or more times, but in this particular case, um, I, I got a bad one. It's the clue they need to make the diagnosis. The doctors tell him they know what is causing his symptoms. I was fortunate that they had seen two cases of this in the last 20 years, so they diagnosed the problem within about the first hour of being there. And what's astounding is that the illness that has Dwight fighting for his life started with a simple fly bite. Africa is a big place, and there's different animals, different pests in different places. But in Tanzania, you have the titsy flies. They are about the size of a housefly and normally a little bit bigger, but they're just extremely aggressive, and you just hate to have them pestering you all day long. But the tsetse fly that bit Dwight wasn't just a nuisance. It was infected with a deadly parasite, a single-celled killer called trypanosoma. And when the fly bit him, these parasites flooded into Dwight's bloodstream. Inside his body, these cunning intruders began to divide and elongate. They used their long tails, called flagellum, to swim throughout his bloodstream. The result is a severe case of trypanosomiasis, or African sleeping sickness. The trypanosome needs to get to its next victim, and what better way to do that than to hitch a ride inside the body of a fly that feeds on blood? Dwight's immune system is helpless to stop the microscopic assassins. Each individual trypanosoma parasite is armed with a shield of proteins. In the bloodstream, white blood cells recognize these proteins as foreign, and they build up antibodies that attack the proteins. But trypanosomes can actually change their protein coat of armor, rendering the blood's antibodies useless. This leaves them free to reproduce and devastate the body's red blood cells, the very cells that carry nutrients and oxygen throughout the body. Starved of nutrients, the patient goes into a coma and ultimately dies. What the trypanosomes do is to literally feed off the glucose that you're supposed to be sending to your cells so that your body is not getting as much energy as it needs, and that's what makes you sleepy. They told me that I was about 24 hours from being gone, uh, you know, being dead. Doctors immediately start Dwight on drugs they hope will save his life. I got my first shot of medicine that evening. They said it was very, very critical that you get the medicine that quickly, otherwise you're dead. This life-saving medication is called Suramin. Made only in Africa, the drug is designed not only to immediately kill the trypanosoma parasite, but to linger in the body as protection against the parasite's offspring. After two weeks in intensive care, Dwight recovers enough to fly home to his wife and family in Michigan. When I went to the airport to pick him up, he looked 20 years older and had lost probably 20 pounds and was absolutely and completely exhausted. In spite of the sermon treatment, back home, Dwight's symptoms persist. We drove home and he went too bad. <laughs> 
and that's pretty much where he stayed for a good while. You are really, really weak. It's, it's, it's an all-out effort just to get up and walk across the room or go and try to get something to eat. Dwight's symptoms are a warning sign that despite the medication he was given in Africa, the trypanosome may still be lurking inside him. And if the killer parasite has crossed into Dwight's brain, the next stage is coma. A deadly parasite has hijacked a tsetse fly and infected Dwight Scott with African sleeping sickness, a potentially fatal condition. Dwight's doctors need to determine whether or not his infection has reached a critical stage and crossed into his brain. Dr. Apoov Kalra heads the team of physicians in charge of Dwight's care. Sleeping sickness clinically presents in two stages. The first stage is where the parasite is just limited to the blood. And the second stage is uh, when the parasite crosses over to the brain. In the second stage, the parasite actually makes its way into the central nervous system, and that can be deadly. It's possible the sermon Dwight received in Africa was administered too late to fend off the parasitic hijackers. You want to be sure in these patients there is no parasite in the brain. Dwight's medical team is in a race against the clock to diagnose and treat him. There's only one way to determine whether the parasite is in his brain and that's by performing a spinal tap. This is a delicate procedure where a doctor will insert a four-inch long needle into Dwight's spine. They need to extract a sample of spinal fluid, the liquid that cushions the spine and brain. Three vials of Dwight's spinal fluid are sent to the lab for immediate analysis. The next morning, the results come back. I'm a little bit nervous. If it goes to your brain, it's very, very serious, and you will, that's what you normally die from. Finally, Dr. Kalra arrives with the news. So, Mr. Scott, we do have the results now, uh, and they show that your cells are normal in the CSF. Uh, but the I test has come back you know, negative, come back but Dwight will have to repeat the test every six months for the next two years to be sure he's clear. Now I'm probably back to about 70%, 80% of normal. The doctors say that I should be back to full strength at some point, but they can't really tell me quite when. As for going back to Africa again after this, I don't know. One thing I would like to say is that the care I got in Africa I thought was just excellent. Certainly I wouldn't be here today had they not been as efficient as they, they were. Parasites live in every country, in every climate, in every corner of the world. Lying, waiting, ready to hijack an unsuspecting host. Parasites are the ultimate hijackers, and they're found in or on every kind of organism on the planet. They steal their host's nutrients, they breed inside them, and in some cases, they destroy them. And avoiding them is impossible. They survive because they're able to adapt to live off of almost every type of organism. They were here before us, and they'll be here long after we're gone. For as long as there's life on this planet, chances are there will always be parasites. For more disgusting parasites and their stomach-churning habits, visit our website, animalplanet.com slash monstersinsideme. 